Well, as Chael said earlier, uh, truly thank you guys for carving out the time to be here as we continue to grow together as a community, and it's awesome to see this community grow as well. I don't know if you've noticed in the past couple weeks, but we've been adding to our numbers, man, and that, that's exciting because then the hope, the love of Jesus Christ is, is beginning to spread. And what, uh, what a really good couple weeks we've had, just a, a quick recap if you've missed. Um, two weeks ago, Mark shared really about the kindness of God. And man, it was really impactful for me, uh, the goodness of God. Last week, Ish shared with us on what does God really believe about us. And I don't know about you, I might have gotten saved again last week. And, and I say that to say, if you've ever missed any of these sermons um, on the Fusion website, the resources tab, you can click down. There's like a whole audio podcast page. I encourage you, throughout the week, I go back and I listen to some of the messages. And it's amazing just the Spirit of God moving. It's like, wait a minute, I was in the room why didn't I catch that? So if you have an opportunity, man, I encourage you to do that. And I think one of the best things over the last couple of weeks is to be able to give uh, Chael and Jen just some time off and some time away, man. All throughout the year, they pour their lives into this ministry. And what a blessing it is to be able to give them just a little gift of some time by themselves. Um, so tonight, man, I'm, I'm really excited about this. This message has been stirring in my heart for a little bit now. Um, we're going to be looking at a passage uh, that I believe has the power to bring freedom and actually lead for us to have a simpler kind of life. Um, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works between, like we didn't talk, some of the songs they picked tonight, Trish, what she shared earlier, Chael, what he shared earlier, Kat, what they shared. Man, you're going to see like the Spirit of God move and we didn't talk about any of this stuff, praise God, right? But his spirit is already moving. I'm getting really excited about what is going to happen tonight. And I hope you're praying along as well because Holy Spirit is here and, and God is going to do something tonight. So it is, uh, yeah, 2022. Um, and we are super conscious about money, right? We want the biggest bang for our buck. We are so value conscious. Anybody else ever get sucked into like the rabbit hole of Amazon reviews and research and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the one guy that this doesn't work for. I'm not buying it, right? I, get, I truly do get sucked into that. Um, another thing, man, I absolutely love thrift store shopping. That's a way I can maximize my dollar. Um, Truth be told, uh, with, with the exception of the hat, everything I'm wearing tonight, I have purchased at a thrift store, probably for like under 20 bucks, and some of you are like, you wouldn't pay me 20 bucks to wear that, but um, thank you, Jason. I want to just show off, too, the G.I. Joe shirt. Come on, right? The, the, the leather Sperry's, I mean, thank you, right? I don't know if you guys remember this. There used to be a Savers in Lake Zurich, right over by House of Hope. It was awesome. And, okay, when I say I love thrift store shopping, it, it, it actually is more of an obsession. So when Savers was in town, the manager pulled me aside after a couple of weeks. He's like, buddy, you're in here a lot. Number one, do you want a job? And I'm like, no, I don't want a job. But then what it was, and I couldn't find it. Oh, I was so mad. I was looking for it. He actually made my own name tag so I could walk straight through the sales floor and go to the back room and look at the items before anyone else. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need an intervention here. But I absolutely love shopping. And, and here's what it is. It's the, man, can I get a deal? What can I get like the most value for? And then it's like a game. Can I dupe the system? Can I beat the man? Somebody once paid a lot of money for something I'm now getting for pennies on the dollar. And that's really like the, the draw for me. And one of the cool byproducts, I guess, of thrifting 
is it's really allowed me an opportunity to ponder like simplicity and minimalistic living. I know that sounds like a contradiction in some, some regards, but the majority of the blogs related to like the thrifting lifestyle really go hand in hand with this movement of minimalism, um, which is kind of a departure of my mindset of just getting something for the deal's sake, right? Uh, and maybe you guys have heard of this. There was a movement a little bit ago. It's still going on. It's, it's the Project 333. Anybody ever seen this? They invite you to live with 33 items for three months. And you could do 33 household items, like one cup, one bowl, one dish. But this really garnered a lot of national attention when they said, can you live with 33 clothing items for three months? Then they even... Socks and underwear doesn't count. Okay, things like that. No, no. But everything else does. So, you know, jackets, shoes, outerwear, tops, 33 items, three months. And if you go to their website, which is still, you know, up and running, it's pretty active, they did a mathematical calculation of how many uh, outfits you can put together. Any guesses? High, low, nothing. Just give me a number. Nine. Nine. I like that. Yes, no. Here's the crazy thing. 25,176 different outfits can be paired using, again, and, and it's a unique combination. They give it to you, and it's like, you know, uh, three pairs of shoes, three belts. Shoes and belts have to match, right? Then four tops, a couple sweaters, four pairs of pants. Anyway, this magic combination of items, 25,000. Just to give you perspective, you could go 70 years using their model and 33 items of clothing and never repeat the same outfit. I think that's insane. Uh, I don't, could anyone do, I don't know, can you guys, I would, I would like to tell you that I could do that, <laughs> but I don't, I truly don't think I do, like, I don't own clothes, I own clothing collections, and I know it's a problem, I'm trying to get better at it, right, so even now I'm thinking like, oh, what do I do with the t-shirt collection, oh, and the sport coat collection, anyway, that's neither here nor there, but here, here's the reality, minimalism truly does fascinate me. Like, it really does. I get gravitated towards, I am lost in these rabbit holes online of reading all about simplicity, minimalism. Um, I crave it, but if I'm going to be really honest, I know we're in church, but I'm going to be honest, I, I find it a challenge to obtain. Um, because at the heart, minimalism isn't like simply owning less. Minimalism is owning just the right amount, right? And that's something that I, I kind of have a problem with. Sometimes I don't know when to say when. Um, but minimalism in a Christian context, you know, for us tonight, it, it's really about getting off the, the merry-go-round of the world system. It's embracing this value of simplicity that we'll see in the scriptures. Because here's the reality, living with less is actually freeing, right? Simplifying helps you live a life of purpose on purpose. It helps keep the main thing the main thing because reality, simplifying actually leads to freedom, and we actually we see this all throughout scriptures, and um, you're probably familiar with the name Solomon. Solomon, one of the wisest men in all of scripture, had this similar revelation in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's chapter 7, verse 29. He says, God made us plain and simple, but guess what? We're, we're the ones who complicate ourselves. And Ecclesiastes is Solomon's quest, and it, and it chronicles this quest for He's looking for money, he's looking for possessions, he's looking for fame, for wisdom. He's going after all of these things. And then about in the middle of the book, he has this aha moment. It's like the light bulb goes on. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. God made it simple. Why am I complicating things? And so ultimately he comes to this conclusion, everything is meaningless without seeking God. 
right? He discovers that there's joy in the simple, that there is this beauty in simplicity. Did you know simply saving a dollar a day, one dollar a day, everybody can do that, one dollar a day, every day could help you build hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Simply drinking eight glasses of water can actually help eliminate and reduce like 80% of the issues we face as we get older. Blood issues, bone issues, joint issues, muscle issues can, all, can be traced back to how much water we're drinking. She, she's got it going on right here. It's like, yes. Simply washing your hands is really what doctors will tell you, still the best defense we have against getting sick. Simply saying thank you will not only change you, but you'll realize it'll change those around you. So, in the midst of like life's complexities that we create, uh, can we define simple? Can we explore simple? Can we prioritize simple? What would it look like for us to get good at saving a dollar, washing our hands, saying thank you, all of that fun stuff? As I was doing some, some just kind of supplemental research for this, I, I came across actually a really interesting study about millionaires and a commonality that they all share. Um, anyone familiar with this? Anybody an, an idea? What, what's a commonality amongst millionaires besides the fact that they have a million dollars, okay? They're generous. That's another, yeah, that's a great one, and we're going to come back to that one. But the fascinating thing outside of kind of like, you know, the, the, the practicality, and I guess this is practical too, but um, most millionaires still make their bed. I thought that was like fascinating as I was reading this, and it was independent polls, and obviously there's plus or minus, you know, data, but it, it's, it's not that making your bed every day will make you and guarantee that you're a millionaire, but it's this principle of choosing a simple, consistent action that builds over time. So making the bed is actually an outward behavior that really mirrors and reflects their discipline of choosing to do the simple. And in Matthew 25, the Bible speaks to this in a sense where it says, if you're faithful over little, God will place you faithful over much. But again, we're in church, so let's be honest. Uh, the word simple can evoke some negative feelings, right? Back in the day, uneducated people were often referred to as simpletons. Um, there's a growing movement to abolish the penny, saying that it's useless, it, it's, it's too rudimentary, it's simple. But simple living doesn't necessarily mean living without electricity or indoor plumbing or selling your car, although with gas prices that might not be a bad idea. So tonight, we're going to dive into the Word, and we're going to look at this concrete principle of simplistic living that I believe will help you focus your purpose and what God is calling you to in life. And, and you are very smart people. I can already deduce that in the room. And you know that it's your priorities that determine what you get out of life. And your priorities are reflected in what? In your choices. What you choose to do, where you choose to spend your time, what you choose to do with your money. And I believe you can make some of the most profound life changes really by simplifying your efforts. It's all about knowing what's most important to you and then structuring your life in a way that gives you the freedom to do really what God is calling you to do. So my, my prayer tonight is that you would allow the Holy Spirit just space, space to move. Um, I may not present any new information, but that's okay. It's like going to the doctor or the dentist. Every now and again, you just need to get that checkup. You need to do some evaluation. And so be attentive. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a Bible verse. Maybe it's a, a thought. Maybe it's, it's a vision that you're having. Maybe it's a feeling. But whatever it is, I just ask, and we're going to pray. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us here tonight. So, Father, 
Once again, Lord, we just praise you for what we have already seen you do tonight. Father, through the testimony of the kids and through worship, Father God, Lord, we know that you are in this place for when two or more are gathered, you are there. And so, Holy Spirit, again, we just say, have your way. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to receive what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. So, every day you guys have choices to make. Some research suggests it's upwards of like 35 different choices in decisions. So if you break that down and don't account for hopefully the choice-free hours when you're sleeping, um, that's about 2,000 decisions per hour or one decision every two seconds. Don't think about it, right? And it's what to wear, what to do, what to eat, so on and so forth. And decisions or choices made repeatedly become your habits. I have a habit, see I made choices years ago and some decisions, I have a habit of reading, of praying, of writing, of playing the drums, of working out, of taking my vitamins, of kissing my wife, yes, of taking a shower, she loves that I did that too. But I have done these and made these choices so frequently that now they've become habits and I don't even have to think about them. But here's the reality, at one point I actually did have to consciously think and make those decisions to do that. Because here's what happens, our thoughts become actions, our actions become choices, our choices become habits, habits lead to our character, right? And our character is what ultimately defines our life. So think about this, Jesus said in John 10, 10, you guys know this verse, you have heard it multiple times, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Quick spoiler alert, we are the they in that sentence, right? So Jesus is saying, man, I came so that you guys can have life and have it more abundantly. When you stop and think about it, because it's one of those things, like sometimes we go through the Bible so fast, man, we just need to pause and give the spirit and really let our intellect kind of wrap our minds around that. And if you were to stop and think about that, what choices would you make knowing that Jesus came so you would have life and life abundantly? Is there a habit that you could form from your choices? Because of your actions, because you thought about and simply believed that Jesus really does want us to have life and have it more abundantly. And, and here's a little like wizard behind the curtain. I, I sometimes struggle with things like that because it seems so abstract, it seems so conceptual. We're just kind of, it's like floating out here a little bit of, you know, all of these like sunshine rainbows and lollipop, like, you know, biblical truths, and we leave them up here in the abstract. But I believe God in his invitation for us to live more simply will help us move some of those truths out of the abstract. Some of you guys know this. Uh, many, many years ago, I worked as a concrete sculptor. And so we would take um, wet concrete, throw it up on the walls, or throw it over rebar and lath, and then hand carve it out to do wine cellars and koi ponds and waterfalls and all these things. It was a fun job. It was a fun job. Uh, a lot of work. <laughs> Truly a, a lot of work. But we got hired to do a wine cellar for uh, Dick Portillo, yes, of Portillo's, at his house in Addison at the time. And I don't want to tell you how much weight I gained, because like every day he would just like have the guys bring over way too much like chocolate cake and like those beef sandwiches. Oh. Anyway, um, but there was always something going on in Mr. Portillo's house. Like there was a flurry of activity everywhere. There were friends, there were family, all of this stuff. One day we're working on like this one section of a wall and I'm 
carving out this relief, and I look down, and there's a little boy standing next to me, curious. And you don't have to know much about little boys, right? All of a sudden, we kind of link eyes, and it's like, he's looking at me, he's looking at the wall, he's looking at my bucket of tools. He's looking at me, he's looking at the wall, he's looking at me, he's looking at, he's looking at the tools. And again, I might, I might have instigated a little bit. Okay, a lot, right? Because I, kind of, I, I give the kid this little smirk nod. Oh my goodness, that's all he needed. He grabs this trowel and just whoom, lops off this whole section of concrete right before my eyes. And what's my response? I just start laughing because, I mean, it's a little kid. This is what he's going to do, right? I mean, that's what, that's what little boys do. And then he starts kind of carving his name. And I'm like, yes. Well, across the room is my buddy Nathan, who kind of was the, the, the main guy, if you will, and he's schmoozing with the, you know, the big ups over here. He sees this, and it's like this slow motion anguish, like, no, as he like starts running across the room to try to stop this kid. Damage was already done, right? I mean, it's gone. Once the concrete's on the ground, you really can't do much with it. Um, so Nathan, though, proceeds to like tear into this kid. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious. I felt bad because like I'm leaving this kid at hangout to dry. Um, and so anyway, dust settles, literally dust settles because there's a lot of release agent on the concrete and it's really dusty. But uh, I go over to Nathan. I'm like, buddy, actually it was kind of my fault. I'm like, but hey man, what was that reaction? I'm like, you, you, you love kids. He's got a bunch of his own. I'm like, what, what was that about, man? He's like, called me Andy. He's like, Andy, absolutely, man. I love kids in the abstract. I just don't like them in the concrete. Oh, man, oh, I've been waiting to use that joke, and finally it's appropriate, here's why. Thank you, she just got it, right? But for real, think about this. So many times as Christians, we're like that, right? We absolutely do. We love to keep things in the abstract. We love to say, oh, you know what, the Bible, it's just this ancient, conceptual, mysterious book, and we just want to keep it here, and here's why. Because the concrete requires accountability, so we convince ourselves, again, I might not ever understand this, but here's the amazing thing. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this about the Word. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful. Look at that. It's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. That's the point of it. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. There's accountability right there. That's a concrete statement. And here's the reality. Our, our thinking is so shaped by so many different influencers. We've got Greek philosophy and logic and rationality and the American dream, right? I mean, that kind of infiltrates our thinking. And so that impacts us sometimes keeping those biblical truths in this complicated abstract. But, again, it's in the concrete where we can find simplicity and we can find freedom. Going back to John 10.10. 10, Right, God says, man, I have come, Jesus has come so we can have life and have it abundantly. That's a concrete statement right there. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He defines abundance a little differently than we do. You see, God encourages us to become experts at the kingdom things, which more often than not, it's the simple things. Why? Because it leads to freedom. Jesus came more for our liberation than for our education and as we spend time with the Holy Spirit, you begin to understand and see that more. So tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles or your phones, we'll put the, the verses on the screen too. But Luke chapter 12, um, and we're again, we're going to jump into a, a passage I believe speaks to both simplicity and freedom. And, and I'm a little, little, little set up here. So in Jesus' day, 
Scholars estimate 9 out of 10 people, 90%, I'm not really good at math, but 90% of the people, they, they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They lived in such gut-wrenching poverty, and that's actually the backdrop. So think of that, the anguish, the anxiousness, the worry of like, oh my goodness, am I going to even eat today? The basic of human needs, that's the backdrop for this radical idea of living a simple life. And we're going to come in uh, midway through, so I'll give you a quick uh, chapter 12 overview. So Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, and huge crowds have begun to follow him at this point in his ministry in Luke. And for context, it's, it's best to think Jesus is actually, his intended audience is the disciples, but he is speaking loud enough and plain enough for everyone to hear him. Okay, so Jesus is talking, and, and at this point, he's talking about God's great love for humanity. And as he's walking, all of a sudden, two wealthy brothers come up to him, and they want Jesus to, to kind of make a judgment about a financial dispute that they're having. So obviously, Jesus' words about God's great care and value, like, totally out, out the window, didn't mean much to these guys, because one brother truly felt for his need. He wanted to, like, fight for his right to party here, and it's like, Jesus, I need you to give me an answer here. Well, ultimately, Jesus closes this discourse um, by telling him, you don't take the U-Haul behind the hearse. See, God is going to get your soul. You're going to heaven with your soul, not with your possessions. That's basically the, the gist of what he was telling these guys, right? And so after he tells this story, now all of us like, wait a minute, he looks directly at his disciples and this is Luke 12, picking up in verse 22. And he says, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barn, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any bird. So can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use in worrying over bigger things? So again, picture the scene, all these people around, these two brothers kind of picking this fight publicly, and it's like Jesus leans in and goes, guys, guys, look at these guys. So because of that, it's almost like he's making an example out of these brothers with respect, with grace. He's Yahweh, right? He can do that. Um, he's making an example out of them to make a point. It's like a, a pastor's dream. It's an instant object lesson right here. Don't worry, he's telling them. Because again, think about this. I know it's so hard in, in our modern culture. These disciples, as much as they're still walking with Jesus, they haven't forgotten kind of the, the daily basic needs, right? They had a tendency to worry. Many of these guys still didn't know, like, are we going to eat today? I don't know, God, what's happening? Um, again, which is so tough for us. Um, remember, Jesus invited these guys to simply leave everything they had to follow him. They left everything. See, Jesus's, you know, intended original audience lived a far different life than we do. A good portion of their day was actually spent thinking about that day. Do I have to slaughter a goat today? Do I have to go foraging today? Do I have to borrow from a neighbor today? Do I need to scrounge enough money to go to the market? And so truly, a lot of the hours of their day were spent thinking about that. And again, that, that sometimes it's hard for our minds to kind of wrap around that. But I think if Jesus was speaking to us directly today, right, this thing goes on, all of a sudden he's like, hey, come here. Don't worry if your son or daughter is going to make the team, if they're going to get into that university. Don't worry about rising costs. 
Don't, don't worry about your job or your promotion. Don't worry about retirement. Don't worry about inflation, deflation, recession. Don't worry about politics, right? He would lean and he would say that same thing. And I know you might get really tempted sitting in your seat to be like, how dare you tell me not to worry? Do you have any idea what I'm going through? And uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. It might not mean much uh, coming from me, but knowing that the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when the person who loves you, who died for you, who gave you his Holy Spirit, says to you, don't worry, it actually should mean something. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't telling you that your job, your possessions, your provisions, your resources, he, he's not saying that that's not important. He's just telling you don't worry because he knows worry has no function whatsoever. And, it, and it's actually a weapon that the enemy will use to rob us of life's moments. See, in the text, Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish that, what's the use of worrying over big things? Now, when I was reading this, uh, just in preparation, I, it kind of hit me for a second. Did you notice, uh, where was it? Oh, there it is. If all your worries can't add a single moment to your life. And then he says, a little thing. In my world, like adding a moment to my life seems like that would be a pretty big deal. Um, but maybe there's, you know, some context there and, and he's really, but anyway, if worry can't accomplish a little thing like adding a moment to your life, what's the use in worrying over bigger things? Because here's the reality, right? Worry causes us to be focused on ourselves. It's a distraction. We become obsessed with our own issues. It keeps us from connecting with God, connecting with others. And left unchecked, this, this pattern of, we'll go back to Solomon, of complicated living will actually keep us from experiencing life simply the way that our creator intended for us to experience it. Because when this happens, we get worried, we get anxious, we get exhausted, we get stressed out. We don't know what to do, so what happens? We don't do anything. This is why Jesus says, don't worry, your father will take care of you. If you haven't started thinking about Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy, now you will, right? Like, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so simple, yet is that really what it is? And, and Luke 12, 24, look at the ravens. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns, but God feeds them. And we're far more valuable than birds. Like, these birds don't have high blood pressure. They're not buying tums by the case. They're not worried about a worm shortage or a worm tax. They just live with this sense of peace, right? They go to work. They know God cares for them. They know everything's going to be okay. And if God cares for birds, how much more will he care for you? And it's like musical roulette in my mind right now, so forgive me, because now all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, uh, Bob Marley, right? Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. I'm a drummer. I'm not a singer, so don't, you know, don't hold me. But here's the amazing thing. Oh, my goodness, right? Do you know the name of that song? It's actually called Three Little Birds. I'm not making any claims about Bob Marley's theology or anything, but how amazing is that, that there's a song called Three Little Birds, and it's all about don't worry, and we see that truth in the Scripture, which this is such freedom that Jesus gives us. He knows that we have pressing issues. He knows that these issues, left unchecked, have the power to consume us. And he's just telling you, man, it's not all on you. There's actually a better way. You simply do what you can do, man, and you trust God to do what only he can do. And so Jesus continues. This is picking up in verse 27. It says, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work. 
They don't make clothing. And yet Solomon, our buddy Solomon, in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And you got to believe Solomon had like wardrobe after wardrobe after wardrobe after, you know what I'm saying. If God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and actually thrown in the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. So why do you have such little faith? What an amazing statement. Don't be concerned about what to eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. Here's the clincher. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Those last two verses, verses 30 and 31, are so crucial. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. All over the world but your father already knows your needs. So, because of that, because your father already knows your needs, he's saying, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. And that's important for the disciples to hear. Again, these guys are consumed. Man, what are we going to do today? What are, and they're trusting Jesus, absolutely. They are obedient. They're following him. But you got to know, right? Jesus already knew what they were thinking before they did. And so if he's speaking this, there's a part of me that's like, hang on. All right, Jesus, what was going on in their minds, right? So he preemptively speaks this. And this is good because they needed to hear really generally, life is more than stuff, right? And that, that's, that's really the same for us today. We have so many things that try to define us and identify us. We're not our jobs. We're not our bank accounts. We're not the contents of our wallet. We're not the clothes we wear. Stuff should not be our priority. And we live in a world that competes for our attention, And there are tons and tons and tons of things that are trying to determine our priorities. Beautiful thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew this. Again, what Chael read earlier in Hebrews, God already knew this. Jesus already kind of experienced this. We have this priest that's gone through this. And so because of it, he gives us this simple answer. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all this other stuff will actually find its proper place. But... What usually happens is the other way around. We, we go after seeking all of this stuff and all of these things, and then what happens? We actually miss the kingdom of God. Too often we get stuck in that rut of like, when then? When I have, when I get, well, then I will. We get so distracted by things that have like really little significance in our lives that we miss out on the things of God. Uh, a couple years ago, who remembers like the FOMO phase, right? It was like the biggest buzzword ever. It's like FOMO, fear of missing out. And it's kind of the same thing. But my question is, man, how do we align our hearts properly so that we fear missing out on what God has more than we fear what the world has for us? Confession, like, I love efficiency. I really do. I love studying, like, the best way, the, I guess, easiest way, but whether it is running a a company or putting together a bike or loading the dishwasher, there's a place for everything. Everything has a place, and I love to just have discussions about efficiency. I have a lot of books on my shelf from authors like Simon Sinek and Tim Ferriss and Jocko Willink, and these guys, they really write a lot of focusing on the main thing and doing the main thing with as little effort as possible. They're not advocating um, laziness. They're simply suggesting that wasting time and effort on things that have no impact, it's not worth your time. Um, I grew up watching DuckTales, right? Scrooge McDuck, right? Work smarter, not harder. 
D.L. Moody, I work for Moody Radio, so I have to give a plug, right? D.L. Moody says, our greatest fear should not be of failure in life, but it's succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. If you sit and ponder that one for a while, boy, Holy Spirit will do a lot of things uh, in your heart. So uh, Simon Sinek has this book, Start With Why. It's, it's actually a, a really wonderful uh, how to simply define why. Why do you do something? It's actually more important than what you do. We can figure out the what, but why are you doing it? Right? So there's that. Uh, Tim Ferriss has this book, Four Hour Body. He discusses in this book why a kettlebell workout is simply the most efficient way to burn uh, fat while building muscle. Not my opinion, I'm just telling you. Um, Jocko Wilnink has this wonderful book, Discipline Equals Freedom. It's like on my must-read. I will give you a copy. Um, I know my kids each have a copy, so I'll steal theirs and let you borrow it. But it's an amazing book next to the Bible, okay? Um, and he discussed Discipline equal Freedom. The areas of your life where you are the most simply disciplined are actually going to be the areas of your life where you have the greatest freedom. And here's an unbeliever writing this book. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I went through his books and I like wrote in the footnotes all the biblical truths that he represents. That's a biblical truth right there, right? And so God, who's not a liar, by the way, and a far better author than all of those three, tells us simply and concretely, if we seek first his kingdom above all else, he will give us everything we need. Simple as it gets. Now, we saw when Jesus was here on earth, the focus of his teaching and ministry was actually on the kingdom of God. He taught that the kingdom of God was this new way of living and thinking. It, it wasn't a physical kingdom with walls and castles. That's what everybody was hoping for. But with Jesus, it was like this transformation of heart and of mind. Jesus himself announced the kingdom of God. And because Jesus spent so much time uh, on, of his ministry on this, it reflects that it's actually a very important thing for us as believers. And not only can we understand the kingdom, we can actually live out and carry its message. See, the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 12, what he's talking about here, is again, it's a transformation of your mind. It's a transformation of your be believing and living in preparation for the eternity. Again, in the Bible, sometimes it talks about the kingdom in the present and the kingdom that is yet to come. And so we are living with this transformed mind, the kingdom in the present, but we are looking forward to the kingdom that is yet to come. It's about his kingship, right? And our obedience to his rule and reign in our lives. Because in his kingdom, this is where it, it gets amazing. In his kingdom, the last shall be first. The broken are blessed. Enemies are loved and actually cared for. The foolish confound the wise. The weak overtake the strong. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Radical generosity is normal. And nobody has a need. That's the kingdom of God. That is what we are seeking. And the simplicity is that the Heavenly Father knows what we already need. And He is willing to give it to us. So instead of being anxious and being worried and being consumed and distracted by how do we get our needs met, we're actually being told simply, seek him. And in this text, if you pull out you know, some, some of the phrasing here, seek means to look for and inquire. And the Greek here for kingdom is actually rule or reign. So if you reword some things, if we're to look for the reign of God in our lives and seek to do what he says, well, then he promises to give us our needs. See, simply seeking the kingdom is that. It's about understanding God's rule and reign on earth 
and then living with dependence, that's a key phrase, dependence on him. And here's why this is actually so counter to our lives here on earth, because think about this, we actually equate maturity when we move from dependence to independence. We're born, we're babies, we can't feed ourselves, we can't dress ourselves, we can't bathe ourselves, but then we slowly learn to walk, to run, to all of those things, and then we say, hey, look at this, I'm self-sufficient. I am independent, and we value that, we prize that here on earth, but that's like the natural realm. And what God is saying in this sense, in seeking the kingdom, we grow in our maturity as we grow in our dependence back on God. Spiritual maturity is living in a way that's totally dependent on God to guide us, to lead us, to provide for us. And again, that's really what it means simply to seek first the kingdom of God. And these verses that we went over tonight in Luke are truly as direct and simple as they sound. There's no metaphors here. There's no real hyperbole. There's no like, hmm, when he said ravens, what was he? There's none of that. This is truly very simple, very direct. Now, that doesn't mean that we just kind of negate and, and ignore our daily tasks and duties. Like, I can't call up my boss and be like, hey, sorry, I'm not coming in today. I'm just seeking first the kingdom. Like, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. But for us, there actually should be a difference in our attitude towards our daily tasks. Because here's the thing, if we are taking care of God's business as a priority, seeking his will, living in obedience, sharing the good news of his kingdom with others, here's what's going to happen. He'll take care of our business as his word promises. God is not a liar. And so if that is the arrangement, if that's what it says, I didn't write it, it's here. If that's the arrangement, what's holding us back? What's holding you back? Luke 12, 31 is actually a description of kind of the character of God and how he works. See, Jesus taught that our focus should be away from this world and placed on the kingdom of God. But if you want to seek first the kingdom of God and live simply and live in freedom, here's the reality. What you do matters. What you choose matters. I love this phrase, uh, information plus application equals transfer. I should go this way because in America we go left to right, so I'm flip foot. Information plus application equals transformation, right? You're accountable for what you know. And the simplicity in the statement Jesus makes for us to live for him, to make the kingdom our primary concern, it just means the things of God become more of a primary focus. And then, you know what? All of our other stuff, man, it's not that we're ignoring them again. It's just they, we're looking at them in, in, in through a different lens, no longer do we have to worry about truly our, our possessions, how much we have, or rather how much we don't have. Um, we don't have to be preoccupied with being in, out, cool, uncool, uh, get out of here. Seeking, seeking God's kingdom, it gives so much freedom for all of that. Now, it doesn't guarantee that our lives are going to be fixed, right? You, you don't see that anywhere in there like, oh my goodness, you're going to make every single green light and win the lottery twice. You guys know that. But it does mean that we can have the peace necessary to keep in perspective the power of God over our lives, reducing, honestly, the, the, the need for worry. Um, again, it wasn't Jesus' intention to dismiss our legitimate needs. He just knows that, what was it, 35,000 different choices. And if we're not careful, those things can actually push out 
the things of God and the kingdom. And so Jesus is trying to guard our hearts, and he's inviting us into this space of like, man, don't, don't do it. There's a better way for you. So again, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So at this point, man, we're just going to kind of give some time here. Um, not, not, not a lot, but we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask this, what, what's, what is a next step for you? Because here's the beautiful thing. With God, there's always a next step. You, you don't just meet God, hear the word, hear some truth, and be like, that was awesome, we'll see you next week, right? No, there is always some sort of next step. Maybe it's an evaluation. How are you doing on this? Maybe it's a little bit of a checkup. Again, information plus application equals transformation. So what information will you apply tonight? Have you ever stopped, actually? This is a freebie. Have you ever stopped for a second and said, and asked yourself, like, why do you choose to come to church every week? Like, why, why, do, you, why do you choose to give an hour and a half, two hours, to sitting here? I, we, we get such high level of biblical teaching and truths every week, but if you just leave it as information, what's it doing in your life? Uh, you could ask every one of my kids. They could probably finish this statement, but I, I say all the time, you could read a million books about doing a push-up, but until you actually get on the ground and do a push-up, you're not going to see transformation in your life. So what you do matters. A great question to ask yourself every week in personal reflection after you hear the word is, man, what am I going to do with what I just heard? What is God speaking to me? Again, and it doesn't have to be this, oh my goodness, I'm going to Africa moment. No. It's usually the simpler things of like, man, love your kids, love your neighbors, bless this person, pray for this person. Again, don't make it so abstract that it's like, oh, this is way too complicated. Typically, this is where as a good pastor, we'd give you like three points, maybe seven, using some alliterations, because I don't know why we just like words that have the same letter. But as I said earlier, man, I just want you to sit right now uh, with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to lead you and guide you into all truth. And the only thing I will ask, truly the only thing, is at some point in this week, you send a text, you send an email, you call someone, let them know. Here's why. Because there's power in accountability. And again, don't make it complicated. Don't make it abstract. Just focus on those simple, simple truths. Remember, choices become habits. Habits become character. Character becomes your life and legacy. And so for the next, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes, I, I'm not even going to put a time frame on it, right? Um, I've asked Mark, Trish, they're going to sing this song. And if you need time just to think, just to process, this, this isn't this huge, you know, grandiose thing. But just, again, man, allow the Holy Spirit to move. If we can pray for you in any way, man, I would love the opportunity to pray. I would even say this, man, I... I encourage you, we are the body together, right? It's not just up here at a college lecture like we're giving you something. We collectively here are, the, are the, the body of Christ, and we can serve and attend to each other's needs. Earlier as we were praying as a group, Chael even encouraged us, man, just, boy, take a step, offer to pray for someone. And so there's freedom tonight within respects, with grace. Man, I encourage you, stand up, offer to go pray for someone. And if you need prayer, man, I, I would love to pray. We've got Chael, Jen, I know they would love to pray for you as well. But literally take the, this next couple minutes. I'll be up when, when uh, you know, to close this out. But take this next couple minutes, man, pray, seek the Holy Spirit.
how can you seek first God in his kingdom? As you're sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is hitting everyone in a little bit of a different way, not to force anything on you, but um, where you're at, don't get, you don't need to get out of your seat. Man, look to your left, look to your right, and just quietly pray a prayer of blessing over that person next to you. Man, pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, really invade their heart. 
take a moment just to pray for the, the people around you. So, Father, we thank you uh, for the truth in your word, Father, that it is never changing. Father, we thank you that that word does not return void, but it is set out to fulfill a purpose in our lives. And so, Lord, I just speak a blessing, Lord, over my friends tonight, Father. Lord, we know that the enemy will be quick to come snatch this word, but, Lord, we just ask uh, your hedge of protection. Father God, and, and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, Lord, we ask that you would just continue it on through this week. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, hey, guys, thanks uh, for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit of my heart with you. Um, truly appreciate it. Uh, we will see you at prayer in the morning, right? Come on. Six o'clock, big table, Tuesdays, five o'clock, and we'll see you again next week. Love you guys. Have a wonderful night. Thanks. Woo.